Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straub, and this is part two of your Week 9 Fantasy Preview. Part one of the show covered the Thursday night game, plus Packers, Chiefs, Vikings, Ravens, Chargers, Eagles, Browns, Bengals, and Texans, Dolphins. We are covering the remaining eight games. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Doherty, and Denny Carter. Guys, I feel like each week we're saying it wasn't bad before. It wasn't that bad before when it comes to injuries, COVID absences, et cetera. It wasn't bad until now. This is the week where it really got bad. Each successive week, somehow one-upping the previous week. And by the end of the season, I think the only player left is going to be somehow Kyle Juszczyk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, all of fantasy football becomes a Kyle Juszczyk only league. Right. Um, that is the final, right, exactly. final destination for 2021. Fullbacks are famously immunized against the uh, the COVID COVID nineteen. And Matt, you're leaving out. We're also setting a new record. I feel like this year for fourteen and a half point spreads. Yeah, never seen quite so many two touchdown spreads in my NFL days. To the uh, typical viewer, it would seem like the NFL is like parody. Like uh, it's wide open, but really it's wide open between like six teams. That's it. The others are just very very bad. Also, like I can't recall a year that we've had as many terrible defenses. There are certain things that matter significantly more this year because teams are just stronger at playing like cover one, blitzing more, et cetera. Other than that, though, like there are just a lot of bad secondaries out there. With all the bad, bad defenses, you're saying that my prayers have paid off. Is that you're, 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 this is a religious thing. <laughs> Not when you're drafting Ramondre Stevenson in every league, but yeah, other than that, it's just fine. It sounds like we need more preseason wow. games. So we get to turn the back under <laughs> Six preseason games, I think. That's okay. That was below. That was below the belt, but I'll take it. That was that was a hard shot below the belt from Daigle there. Dan Arnold is uh, the savior. Dan Arnold That's is coming right. back to avenge Denny from his week one call because now Dan Arnold is a weekly player. Dan Arnold or Travis Kelsey? This is the question we have to answer. Going forward. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Plenty of Dan Arnold talk ahead. We're gonna start though with. Uh, the Broncos at the Cowboys, one of those double-digit spreads, Pat, not quite 14, but Dallas favored by 10, a total of 49 and a half. It is sounding good for Dak Prescott to return here. The Cowboys sound like, though, they won't have left tackle Tyron Smith. But on the other side of things, Broncos don't have Von Miller anymore. They won't have Bradley Chubb. Is this all a net neutral, Pat, for the Cowboys passing game? It's probably a net neutral. And yeah, Dak said Thursday it's safe to say that he's going to play. I mean, the thing is, uh, the Broncos have been solid against both the pass and the run, but we know their entire rest of the season outlook is different after they traded the heart and soul of their defense. Not that Von Miller is like playing at an all-pro level anymore or anything like that, but 10-point home favorites, 
I mean, the idea is probably going to be the Cowboys will ease Dak back in, really ride the running game, get maybe like 30 to 35 combined carries for Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And you maybe just have one of these crazy big time rushing days that they've had all year. But even in those games, even in these low volume games for Dak Prescott, he's found a way quite frequently to get like three touchdowns and the matchup is still too good. I mean, they're still too big of favorites to leave Dak outside like the top eight, even I'd say at quarterback. But on paper, I, I do, it kind of feels like a day where it's going to be the Cowboys running game against the Broncos. And we've seen that the Cowboys will do whatever is in their best interest weekly. They will not just feed it to Dak if necessary, but it does seem like he will be back under center. Even so, I believe the one constant will be Ezekiel Elliott. We now see him nearly doubling up Tony Pollard in carries 118 to 68 on the entire year. And Pat is right. The Broncos defense has been sturdy. They're four wins coming against bad opponents this year. But also, I still wonder how much really can they continue losing before the wheels fall completely off? Because even this week, not only Von Miller, but losing a cornerback. You know, the guy, uh, <laughs> the guy who's out. No. Nonetheless, a starting cornerback. And so they continue losing front seven players, players in their secondary. And so there's a clear reason why the Cowboys are two score home favorites right now over the Broncos. Is it? It's not Ronald Darby, is it? Uh, he's limited in practice. I don't know if someone went on IR, but Bryce Callahan. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say Kerry Benson, but Kerry Benson was the one they traded, who actually was not active for any game, and that happened to be the biggest news, like trade happening on the deadline day. Guys, if you're listening to this podcast, we know defense. We know every <laughs> defensive player in the entire NFL. Absolutely. I can name every defensive starter for all 32 teams. We actually do mostly know defense. But uh, Noah Fant on the COVID-19 list too, Daigle. Just like, you know, bad vibes. You know, people were like posting. Like they were not – like there was weird blood around like Von Miller's departure. Just everything about this game seems like kind of like like – rock bottom for the Broncos. Maybe they'll rebuild a little bit for the stretch run. This has the feel of a rock bottom week for the Broncos, like you said. Cowboys, as uh, John said, 10-point favorites. That's up significantly from the start of the week. Dallas has a 55% rush rate while leading this year. So I think that Elliott and Pollard could, as the kids say, get there uh, this week. And But, you know, Pollard's coming off a, a very slow week. I think seven touches last week against Minnesota. Uh, you know, in redraft leagues, I, I wouldn't stop that from, I wouldn't let that stop you from playing him in week nine. Zeke, though, I mean, we're optimistic about Zeke's volume, it sounds like. He's coming off a kind of a quiet week, 20 touches for 73 scoreless yards, only broke one tackle on his 16 rushing attempts. Daigle, I think there's actually any bigger ceiling this week for Zeke. Absolutely. Uh, that game in general, just to play more heavy boxes, knowing they could stop the running game and allowing Cooper Cooper Rush to throw. And of course, like Cooper Rush getting there, as Denny said, because Harrison Smith forgot he played football for a second out of that halftime and took a bad, <laughs> took a bad route at CD lamb. And then also uh, a very good throw at the end by Cooper Rush to Amari Cooper, the fade to win the game. But overall, like they were playing the run. So I have no concerns over Zika Elliott whatsoever. I actually believe right now he's going to come in under rostered in DFS and think he's like, maybe the top running back play of the entire slate. He's close. And to both your and Matt's points, it's been a quieter two weeks for Zeke, but he averaged 22 touches those two weeks and hit 20 both times. So like you said, Daigle, the usage just remains like through the roof for Ezekiel Elliott. And we just love that going into a game where they're 10-point home favorites. Are we worried about the ankle for C.D. Lamb, Pat, or not so much based on what we're seeing in these practice reports? 
I mean, I'm worried, not only worried from the perspective, I'm not worried yet, but the Cowboys are, they're being like very you know cautious with things. If they were like, they admitted like Dak Prescott could have played in week eight, but since they have one loss, you know, they're cruising probably to a division title, but they have the luxury of taking things slow with guys, like not having to force anyone and, you know, can still win without CD lamb. But I mean, if you, if either of you, I don't think I've seen anything to indicate that he will not play. We've also seen Dalton Schultz separate himself from Blake Jarwin and Dallas's last four games, uh, running around on over 70% of the team's dropbacks in that span. And even though Michael Gallup may return, even though CeeDee Lamb may or may not be out there, uh, the fact that Blake Jarwin has pretty much already been rolled out for Sunday, I think at least we can stick around with Dalton Schultz as a middle, low-end, tight-end one for one more week, and then we'll see what happens when everyone is available, including Gallup, moving forward. So on the Denver side of things, Jerry Judy returned, caught all four of his targets for 39 yards last week. Denny, you know, we're all sounding pretty down on the Broncos, but are you optimistic about Judy getting something going against Dallas or not so much? Matt, I'm so glad that you came to me with this one because I have I have all I have all the Judy goods uh, for this show. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, you didn't. No, but but you but you sensed it. And I, and I think that I after did. working together for so long, you you just you just know uh, deep down. So uh, here we go, if I could find them. So Jerry Judy last week upon return from injury ran a route on 77% of the team's dropbacks. He caught four of four targets, you know, uh, not exactly nothing to write home about, but the usage was good. We can maybe expect him to be ramped up a little bit more, get more into the 85, 90% route running range in this game. And I think, as I mentioned on, on last week's show, preview show, Dallas has struggled against slot receivers throughout the season. Keenan Allen had a 100-yard game against them. Adam Thielen had a really nice game last week against Dallas in an otherwise, you know, kind of muted day for the Minnesota passing attack. And of course, Kadarius Tony ran a lot of routes from the slot when he went bananas against Dallas in Week Five. So uh, Judy ran almost all of his routes from the slot last week. That's that's where he goes. That, that's where he lines up. I I actually. Loki kind of love Jerry Judy this week. Also, with Noah Fant on the COVID list, we've seen in a league with so many inconsistencies this year, the one constant actually has been players going on the COVID list and not playing that week. That's actually been like fairly mm-hmm. certain every single time. And so uh, if Noah Fant remains out, then it's a pretty great week to stream Alberto. We saw him last year lead the team in end zone targets whenever he was in as pretty much an every down player for both games, one that Fant missed last year and the other one when Fant was coming back from injury slightly limited. So I think he's actually like a low end tight end one and a pretty great spot if you're desperate because your tight end is on by this week. Yeah, Alberto, a great streamer. And just speaking to Fant, uh, not Fant, Sutton and Jerry Judy, both were limited to four targets last week in that horrible 17-10 to 10 win over the football team. Literally no way Teddy Bridgewater may be able to attempt fewer than 30 passes yeah. in Dallas. And you should see the volume just go way up for both Denver receivers. And that's why we still have confidence in Cortland Sutton, despite Judy being back. And uh, the Cowboys are, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, a pass funnel defense to repeat what pat said that horrible 17 to 10 win (laughs) a horrendous win for the broncos it was a life-affirming game all right we've got a what could be a real thriller in the nfc south the falcons travel to new orleans where the saints are favored by six a total of 42 one of the lower ones of the week Jameis winston's done for the year 
Uh, we think that means Taysom Hill will be under center. Meanwhile, we also know that Michael Thomas is done for the year. So everything is totally fine in New Orleans. Uh, and Daigle, is this Saints offense pretty much looking like Kamara, Taysom Hill in like a deeper super flex league and, and really no one else to even consider this week and beyond? Unless anyone wants to sell me on Adam Troutman again, uh, it just seems <laughs> like it's going to be Taysom Hill. But remember, Taysom Hill was very good for fantasy anyways and his four starts last year. 28 and a half passes, nearly 10 carries per game, 21 fantasy points averaging in those four starts, and a QB1 finish in three or four of those games. So we love going right back to Taysom Hill, assuming he's cleared from concussion protocol, assuming he starts, and it seems like that would be the direction they go. Even though Trevor Simeon did step in and was just fine as a backup, we know that one, Sean Payton loves him some Taysom Hill, and two, uh, that Taysom Hill is offseason also practice pretty much only in a quarterback competition with Jameis Winston stepping away from wide receiver running back tight end drills. So I think he is ready to step right in. And uh, again, I, I will treat him honestly as a low end QB one for the rest of the season, assuming he starts for that many games. Yeah, I'll treat him as a QB one for this week too. I'm pretty sure he's going to play. He's back limited on a Wednesday. The saints are very opaque with injury information though. And it's been out a month. The only reason I feel like, I feel like maybe he's been cleared but do the Saints, well, maybe he's not like st stamina, his conditioning might not be ready. I, I wouldn't take it 100% for granted he's going to start just yet. Definitely trending that way. Like Daigle said, three QB1 finishes last year. Two of those were against the Falcons. Uh, QB5 and QB8 days against the Falcons. Who as we know have only gotten better this year on defense. Uh, the Falcons, you know, man, what a tough, what a tough matchup that is for opposing quarterbacks. So, yeah, sorry to layer, lay it on, but uh, yeah, another really a good matchup for Taysom if he can get clear. If it's Trevor Simeon, just God help us all. <laughs> what about that, Denny? That whole thing about remember when Taysom Hill couldn't get like throw it to Alvin Kamara last year? Are we we're not still worried about that, are we? Have, we feel like the Saints have kind of fixed that glitch. <laughs> You know, I want to say yes, yes, they did fix the glitch, and then they didn't, and then, and then they did. I, you know, it's it's been it's been a little bit disconcerting the fact that, you know, he's just not being treated the same as he was when Drew Brees was peppering him, talking about Kamara with 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 targets. You know, from a more anecdotal standpoint, which maybe not the best, but I, I feel obliged to say, it, a rushing quarterback is not one to check down like you know i, I did a, a little study over the summer looking at you know how how often rushing quarterbacks check down to their running backs and the results were not good for the running backs i should say that could play a factor also you have mark ingram's uh introduction into the backfield i know ingram didn't play that much but he did see a good amount of work and took two targets and two catches away from from Alvin kamara which was while I was watching it, pretty horrifying. You know, when he was getting pass catching work, it's like you know this is you're supposed to he, he's supposed to have the the low value touches between the twenties, and then Kamara comes in and 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 gets all the good stuff. But uh, that's not really the way it worked out last week. So I think there is reason to you know to to be a little bit uh, pessimistic on Kamara going forward. Not that you can do anything about that in redraft. You're still starting him, obviously. To provide numbers to what Denny was saying. Uh... Ingram, of course, showed up to a playbook he's been familiar with, clearly. First eight years in the league, I believe. He played with New Orleans and did play 22 snaps and saw two targets compared to Kamara's four and 24% um, of the running back carry. So clearly involved 
heavily actually for just having a ride 48 hours prior. Having said that, because I've thought about this a lot, I do wonder, at least for this week, if Kamara is just fine still in his normal role, because I wonder with Taysom Hill, like missing multiple games due to a concussion, will that keep him from running? at least in this one game, and staying healthy. Maybe not, because he is a hair-on-fire quarterback. He does play like his life is on the line every single time he's under center. But uh, but overall, if there were a game where they get Kamara involved even more, it would probably be this one. And I'll say, speaking to the Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, I think one of the biggest fantasy controversies of 2020, it was six total targets for Kamara the first three games that Taysom Hill started. They were all kind of easy Saints victories. It was two over the Falcons, one over Kendall Hinton. And the fourth uh, Taysom Hill start was against the Eagles, a game the Saints actually lost, and he got 10 targets, Alvin Kamara. So he went from six in three games to 10 in one game. So maybe either Taysom finally got the message or maybe it was just like a matter of game flow. Uh, But we know he's capable of doing it. We know he is nowhere better to send the ball. I guess we could worry about this being a competitive game, but the Falcons have generally kind of gotten at least competitive the past few weeks. And – I think that Alvin Kamara, at least five or six targets will be there. We just uh, got a report from NFL Network that Taysom Hill was a full participant in Thursday's practice. So it looks like he's on the the right side. It's on. He'll probably still be questionable, maybe, but uh, it looks like he'll play on Sunday. You mentioned the Falcons being competitive, but the offense was not good last week against Carolina. No Calvin Ridley also for the foreseeable future for this team. Pat, what does this all mean for Cordero Patterson, who was actually still fairly productive last week, and Kyle Pitts, who was not. I mean, it means more CPAT all the time, just more and more, 14 touches, three straight games, 14 carries, two straight games, that bookended the bye, which is, of course, an amazing sign. They have nowhere better to funnel the ball. I mean, Russell Gage he went on Melt Carton last week, zero targets. He did have an injury. He's now practicing in full, but like, if you're looking for like a wide receiver five Hail Mary and like the, the Falcons receiver court's looking like it might be Ty J Sharp right now over Russell Gage, Oof. which kind of just tells you all you need to know about Kyle Pitts and Cordero Patterson. They just have no choice. And Kyle Pitts, it's going to be frustrating, especially against like a really well-coached defense like the Saints. There will be – there is a danger that he will get taken out of this game, but Kyle Pitts has had at least six targets every game but one. We've seen the playmaking ability with our own eyes on an NFL field now. He seems like one of those guys where it's just going to be kind of mostly like life finds a way for Kyle Pitts just because he's that good. The need is that acute. And there, there, there will be some bottom fallout weeks, and that could be this week against this good defense. But Kyle Pitts, it's hard to see him the rest of the season ever being outside the top five at tight end. That's the way I view it as well. Uh, Matt Ryan, his lowest yards per attempt, fewest yards per attempt, 5.4 since week one this past week. And now we are seeing Kyle Pitts deal with the ebbs and flows of being in the NFL. For instance, without Calvin Ridley last week, he was shut out because Stephon Gilmore not only covered him, allowing just two catches for 13 yards while Gilmore was draping him, but also Gilmore asked for Pitts, apparently, because he's a psycho and went to Matt Rule and said, I want Pitts, and they gave him to him. And so I imagine, especially because as Fantasy Points, Graham Barfield points out, that Kyle Pitts in two games now without Calvin Ridley this year, weeks five and eight, has played 86% of his snaps as a wide receiver from either in the slot or out wide. I would imagine that's how teams are going to address the Falcons offense without Calvin Ridley. What if we just put, for instance, Lattimore on Pitts 
as a wide receiver mm-hmm. this week instead, and you have to beat us with Cordero Patterson, Russell Gage, and Tajay Sharp. It's probably going to result in more games that Ryan averages fewer than six yards per attempt. And so that's my real concern here. I think it may be a little more volatile for Pitts, but like Pat said, you will never be in a position to redraft where you like have to question to bench him, I would imagine. The protection was really bad for the Falcons last week. Matt Ryan only took three sacks, but that was a, a major problem. That's never been a problem for the Falcons for three <laughs> to four years in a row. So that's just hard to believe. <laughs> it looked like it was it was heading in the right direction, but I it, it, that might have just been matchups. I mean, it, it it was it was very leaky. The line was very leaky. Speaking of matchups, too, we saw we saw Mike Davis emerge with fourteen touches. Uh, I wonder as they take Calvin Ridley out of the offense, like if now we get Mike Davis back, not as a confident like RB2, but as someone that's usable all of a sudden in deeper leagues because they have no choice but to split Patterson out more and more. And uh, that means Davis going in the backfield more. So just something to watch as like an RB3, 4, 3 probably in 14 bye weeks like this week. All right, we move now to the Bills at the Jags. This is one of those 14-point spreads that Pat loves so much. Buffalo favored by 14.5, a total of 48.5. After averaging 96 yards a game last year, Stephon Diggs is at 72 yards per game this year. Danny, are you still holding out hope personally that the ceiling emerges in the second half? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the usage is, is definitely there. I know that Cole Beasley has emerged over the last two games as an annoyingly reliable uh, wide receiver one. I think he leads the league and I'm, I'm sorry, he leads the team in targets over that, over that two game stretch. Yeah. I know it's a small sample, but still, I mean, from a guy who I was on a lot of waiver wires three or four weeks ago to, to this is pretty shocking. Anyway, Jags are weirdly a uh, pass funnel defense, which you don't see often with horrible teams, but they are Geno Smith got to him last week. Josh Allen, if he played four quarters and he almost definitely won't play four quarters, could easily throw for 400 yards here. I, I, I have a feeling that Stefan Diggs will be will be a big part of that. And uh, yeah, and I think that everything points to him having a, a much bigger second half of the season. So stay stay patient. It is weird. He's the wide receiver 22 right now by average half PPR points. He's only cleared 70 yards twice. So, I mean, I think it's just a function of the Bills offense being deeper this year with more more reliable targets but you know Dawson Knox is still out he's a big play threat it it would stand to reason he's going to start hitting more of these big plays because the volume has still been pretty good still most more weeks than not it's 10 plus targets for Stefan Diggs and I agree with Denny that even though it's been frustrating it's hard to not see I mean wide receiver 22 he should at least double that in the second half of the season it is odd and I've looked at it so much because really nothing has changed behind the scenes. Like routes are still the same. Target share is still great. End zone targets, air yards, it all matches up. It's really just comes down to, I believe, just regression that we talked about this offseason. Just he was so good that now I wonder if it's slipping back. And uh, there will still be some spike weeks moving forward for sure, especially as this offense continues humming along. But overall, like I think that's all it is. So I still have uber confidence in him throughout the rest of the year yeah i wanted to mention that Diggs is 13th in air yards and uh mm-hmm. there was a there was a point where my guy emmanuel sanders had a pretty hefty lead on Diggs and air yards and that has narrowed considerably over the last few weeks emmanuel sanders this week also the uh air yards bounce back guy since came up with an egg in the box score yeah four targets for no catches but we also know the Jaguars allow 13 yards per catch and uh, nine yards per target to opposing wide receivers. He'll be just fine this week. Speaking of Cole Beasley, 17 catches, 198 yards and a score his last two games, a team high 11 targets last week. Didn't practice on Thursday due to a rib injury, so a little bit up in the air. Daigle 
all things considered, your thoughts on Beasley and is this a good week to look at Gabriel Davis again? So what we saw and without Dawson Knox was Tommy Sweeney actually, which I did not expect, be used essentially like Dawson Knox, running 39 routes on Josh Allen's 52 dropbacks as a pass-catching tight end. Davis did sprinkle in, did have a season-high target share, caught that touchdown, but overall still, uh, his routes run matched what he was doing in weeks one through six, for instance. So really no role change for him. Meanwhile, the Bills had were tied at the half, first of all, three all with the Dolphins, and had 80 yards passing, just 120 yards of offense, and then changed the game completely, going to more of a quick passing scheme. I believe all but two of Beasley's catches occurred in the second half as they got him and Zach Moss heavily involved as their underneath option. So a little bit of an out now for Zach Moss, especially in PPR leagues, since he was prior to that a touchdown or bust option. And Beasley, for sure, as long as Knox is out, I think we continue trusting him with utmost faith. Uh, 22 targets now the past two games, that first one being when Knox was initially knocked out, because it seems like there's no one really to compete with him anymore underneath. Bad, bad times for the Jags offense last week. Dan Arnold is looking like a relatively safe bet. And Denny, I do want to give you a floor to talk about Dan Arnold here in a moment. But at this point, Pat, with James Robinson dealing with that heel injury, not looking good for this weekend. We're not turning to Carlos Hyde, are we? I mean, I heard you guys talking about him earlier in the week. It, this matchup, is there anything to hang on to here in terms of Carlos Hyde's value? No, we are, we are, folks. We're going to Carlos Hyde. Oh, okay, we're doing it. He's a top it. Okay. 20 back. I think the Jags are one of those situations where they've become so bad. Every year there's like two or three teams where it no longer matters what the game script or like what the game flow is. Like they just have to run the ball to have some semblance of an offense to just like not go three and out every single drive. The Bills are a horrible matchup for Trevor Lawrence, who is playing very poorly again recently. And you know, Carlos Hyde, Danny and I had talked about this. It's not like he's he's not a pass catcher, but he's caught passes like when he when needed in his career. So they don't have to, they're not gonna like yank him off the field. I mean, then they then they bring back Divine Azigbo this week. They do have Divine Azigbo and Dario Gunbawale, but I think we're going to see a lot of Carlos Hyde snaps, probably a lot of Carlos Hyde touches. And I think he's in like that Goldilocks zone for a bad back on a bad team where they are bad enough that it's just Carlos Hyde season, folks. I just noticed that uh, Dario Gumbawale was active last week. And even then, they still gave Hyde eight of 11 running back targets. So that's why I have faith in him in a terrible matchup in a maybe positive game script for him, not for the offense, for him. Right. And so that's why I think he's a touch-based option. Ben Gretsch of Stealing Signals described Devontae Booker recently as the, quote, platonic ideal of a zero RB running back. That's Carlos Hyde now with, with James Robinson out. He's a guy you can pick up. You get some cheap targets, cheap receptions. You just absolutely trigger everyone who hates PPR, who hates zero <laughs> RB. It's great. It makes people so upset that Carlos High is going to be a thing this week. I'm in total agreement with what Pat was saying. I'm actually in a league, if James Robinson's out, which we're assuming so, yeah. I'm flexing Hyde over LaVisca Chenault, and I do not feel good about it. You got to do it. It's, yeah. That's really depressing, but yeah, you do have to do it. It's true, though, right? Like, you actually have to do it. No, you actually do have to do it. LaVisca season's canceled. And not to change, just real quick, then the other running game with Zach Moss – Zach Moss always feels good in theory. And the theory, I feel like, is rarely ever proven. And it's like, you know, 14 and a half points. It feels like it should be Zach Moss season again. But 
Zach Moss, man. I don't know. I've got Carlos Hyde ranked ahead of Zach Moss, by the way. But Denny, do you have any Visca Sicko or, or Dan Arnold thoughts? No, no. They hate they hate Lavisca so much, the, and they and they, they have no interest in using him. Jamal Agnew is a much better start this week than Lavisca Chenault. Uh, Agnew and Arnold over the past three games for Jacksonville. So Agnew has a twenty percent target share, leads the team. Arnold is just behind him with a nineteen percent target share. Uh, if Arnold ever scores a touchdown, which would be cool. Now we're talking. I mean, you know, he's uh, those middle of the field, short dump off throws that he got, especially last week against Seattle, 10 targets. Agnew got 12 targets in, in basically two and a half quarters of garbage time against the Seahawks. There's no reason to think that something similar won't unfold in week nine uh, with the Bills heavy, heavy favorites. I'm all about the, I've always been about Dan Arnold, especially so now and Agnew. Really like Agnew. Deggle's all aboard the Agnew train as well, I believe, correct? <laughs> I don't I don't like being the one to represent, uh, as Hayden Weeks calls him, Jamal Swagnew, because right. he has no ceiling. He's clearly a converted cornerback who Urban Meyer's peppering with targets. But that's the whole point. Just that we're getting still 12 targets for him like last week. And then like Denny said, the last three games without DJ Shark, Agnew leads the whole team in target share, 20%. Meanwhile, you go all the way down to fourth on the team. That's where Chenault is with a 13.5% target share behind Agnew, Arnold, and Marvin Jones. So it's just becoming very clear where the targets are going to go. And for better or worse, that is Arnold and Agnew. It's also becoming very clear we were the targets when it came to LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, we're targets. <laughs> we fell for a scam. Yeah. I, and don't you undersell Jamal Agnew's ceiling, Daigle. He had well over three yards per target last week. 12, 12 for 38. 12 targets, 38 yards. He was a poor man's Tyreek Hill of week nine. He got the job done. I don't want to hear anything else about it. The Patriots at the Panthers. New England favored by three and a half, a total of 41. Christian McCaffrey has been designated to return from IR by the Panthers. According to Matt Rule, he was pretty limited at practice Wednesday. I haven't seen the Thursday report as of yet, if there's been any update. But just, you know, looking at this big picture, Daigle, assuming that it's Chuba Hubbard again, I think we're assuming that still. First of all, is that safe to assume? That's the question we're all asking right now. That's why I stopped there. Daigle, I'll just I'll say I'll let Daigle spiel. I'll just say Matt Rule is he's an unreliable narrator when it comes to injuries, and and he said he's made it sound like Christian McCaffrey's really limited, but just like basically the Zoomers have no idea who William Faulkner is. This is me the dumbest comment I've ever made. He's like the narrator in a William Faulkner novel. I don't know if I'd be believing anything that Matt Rule says. We also saw Amir Abdullah active for this game this past one for the Panthers, and he actually handled 11 touches, surprisingly. Uh, Chuba Harbour still got there with 20-plus carries and a touchdown, so it's just fine as an early-down workhorse. But overall, we also know that Joe Brady said if McCaffrey's back, like they can't imagine limiting his workload just because he's already been injured, which is interesting. Good for fantasy, bad for <laughs> fantasy, not sure which one. And so we're playing it to the wire since he was on a bike. Christian McCaffrey was Thursday morning. The injury reports will ultimately dictate – whether he's out there or not. And if he is, you're starting him again as the RB1 of the week. And then if not, yeah, I think you can continue starting Hubbard as a you know low-end RB2. This matchup probably makes him closer to an RB3 since we expect the Patriots to just roll. He's averaged 22 touches over his past four games, Chuba, with a low of 16. So hopefully, as Daigle hinted, I mean, it's weird with the Amir Abdullah stuff, but hopefully he can at least, we can consider 15 t- touches Hubbard's absolute floor. Why can't you imagine limiting his workload if he's back? I don't I don't get that just as like something that's just a given. <laughs> Why can't you imagine that? 
We're not sure. We're lo- we're looking into it strongly at the moment. <laughs> okay. For for a team that like whenever Matt Rule was signed, even put it into his contract, they they want an athletic complex built inside the facilities to like keep players healthy. It's very odd like how they do not keep players healthy. Yeah. Matt Rule is kind of all talk when it comes to analytics he is. and like optimization and all that. Like he talks a pretty good game. Like he 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 had me a little bit. And then, and then every time they lose, he's like, we didn't run enough, you know? And you're like, oh, okay. So you don't, you don't get it. I, okay. I see. Speaking of running enough on the Patriots side of things, Damian Harris, 23 carries 80 yards last weekend, touchdown his fourth straight game, finding the end zone. I think he's pretty much just locked in as an RB two at this point. If you know, feel free to push back, but anywhere else to turn with this Patriots offense, Danny, beyond Damian Harris? Uh, no, maybe Jacoby Meyer, if you just love non-touchdown receptions. It, uh, the thing is, the the Patriots keep playing uh, run funnel defenses, including Carolina, which is the sixth most extreme run funnel defense. So, you know, the Patriots are solid favorites. Uh, right now, they, I, I think, believe four-point favorites against the Panthers. I just don't see much of a chance that we're not going to see a game script where it's just Damian Harris all day um, and keeping the ball on the ground, limiting, you know, pass catching potential for everybody in that offense. Well, it's weird. The Panthers have been facing a ton of running volume because their offense has been so bad, but they actually permit the second fewest running back fantasy points. And Shaq Thompson was back last week. It was like all over the field kind of like, blowing stuff up basically for the Panthers defense. So that was kind of interesting. And, but is, I mean, it's going to be Damian Harris because Sam Darnold right now, I mean, Sam Darnold facing Bill Belichick, that's like a potential like war crime in the making. (laughs) Like we're going to get like the Hague involved in that pretty soon. Cause that is really, really not a good situation for the Carolina. Not to be dramatic, but the not to be dramatic. Yeah. Not to overstate this, but uh, not a good situation for the Panthers offense. It's just tough since, Nelson Aguilar is involved every week, but he hasn't had a target share over 18% in every game. Jacoby Myers continues to lead the team in targets, but has no idea what the end zone looks like. And then Hunter Henry is still playing over John U. Smith, but also it's Hunter Henry and they're not peppering their tight ends with targets enough. So it literally just goes everywhere. So much so that Kendrick Bourne had a 20% target share this past week, and you're never going to get to the idea to play Kendrick Bourne. So it's just tough. Yeah, and this is not a good setup for Mac Jones. He's been managing the heck out of these games, but it's going to be like a game of inches for the Patriots passing attack this week, like a game of feet probably for the running attack. It's Well, the good thing is that it's the Panthers' offense really that has fallen off like the last month, not really the defense, even though they are significantly injured. And so that's why I think it's actually a good setup for the Patriots. Uh, Mac Jones also, like he's been the best rookie quarterback, right? He's been really good. He uh, he really he's he's the one like executing by far the best. He's yeah. like not getting beyond himself. He's making mistakes, but he's not usually making them twice. Yeah, he has been with a very limited supporting cast. Has been executing extremely well. He he's the only chance of Jamar Chase not running away with offensive rookie of the year. Getting back to Hunter Henry real quick. Carolina has given up the third highest target share to tight ends this year. I know that Pitt, Kyle Pitts had a down game last week, but John talked about why that may have been. Uh, so I, I think Hunter Henry, even though it'll probably be a low-volume passing game for New England again, I think Hunter Henry is still very startable in 12-team in formats. Pat, I just want to congratulate you. I think that a minute ago, that was your most dramatic uh, reference since Matt Ryan was locked in the Tower of London a few weeks ago. <laughs> so it's good, good to get back to it. 
I don't like to overstate things, but I, this is how I see it. You should stop reading and watch more football. Is, is, is my... Starting Sam Darnold right now against Bill Belichick seems to violate uh, numerous international laws, is all I'll say. All right, four games down, four to go. First, we will take a quick break. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you're eyeing on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. Meanwhile, the NFL season is in full swing and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday Night 7. Predict what will happen between the Titans and Rams on Sunday night for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Next up, we have the Raiders at the Giants, Las Vegas favored by three, a total of 46 and a half. As everyone listening by now knows, just an awful situation with Henry Ruggs, who has been released by the Raiders. Looking at this team on the field now, Derek Carr no longer has one of his top receivers. Pat, how can he maintain his fantasy floor moving forward? Yeah, and that's interesting because he's been like all floor, and this seems like it was a very like tightly compact offense. Like it seemed like an offense that can't really afford to lose like a cog in it. It was like everyone kind of doing their part. No one, especially with Darren Waller hurt, no one's really been like blowing up for big games. It had been like an all hands on deck kind of effort. Now they've lost their field stretcher, and it is a really good matchup for Derek Carr, but. Well, he's been you know, so stubbornly in like that QB one mix. Like every week, it seems like he's getting 280 yards and two touchdowns, and he isn't really reaching a ceiling. But he had just been all floor based. And if you're floor ba- floor based and lose one of your key weapons, it's fair to wonder how long you can keep that like that floor standing. And I think it's going to be a really really critical loss for the Raiders offense. And just it is a really good matchup, though, for Derek Carr this week. And it's kind of a strange week on the QB 1-2 borderline. So Derek Carr, maybe against the Giants, can still stay in that QB 1 mix. But for a guy, basically, it seemed like they're just relying on everyone doing their thing every week. I, I think it's really bad news for a floor-based quarterback. I expect to see Hunter Renfro as well pop without Henry Ruggs. Uh, Renfro, of course, the team's current leader in receptions with 38, overall wide receiver 35, and fantasy points per game in PPR leagues. And he has yet to lead the team in routes run in any game this year behind Brian Edwards, who 
is actually leading the team in routes run, but has never eclipsed 90 receiving yards in a game this year because he's Brian Edwards. So I like Hunter Renfro quite a bit to step in and have a, a ceiling that we didn't initially expect. And so I would be curious to see if he reaches that as early as this game. I mean, I have Renfro. He's like top 30 this week, isn't he? I mean, it's you may not like it, folks, but you know, Hunter Henry, uh, Hunter Renfro, like a lot of weeks, should have maybe been top thirty, and we just never just we just all pretend it's not a thing that's happening. No respect. It's harder to pretend now. The the speaking of floor, like the target floor, just might be officially too high with Hunter Renfro to ever rank him out of the top outside the top thirty six. Uh, and just for the record, it, this is not a recommended sicko play or anything. You know, I just want to put that out there. Zay Jones enters the starting oh lineup for the Raiders. Oh. I'm, I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just stating it for the record so the people know who's going to replace Henry Ruggs. It's Zay Jones. This is according to the Athletic. Got to have your radar up when Denny says something like, "This is not a recommended <laughs> sicko play." Yeah, I mean, you, you just got to get dive, take take cover. <laughs> Go ahead, Pat. Daigle, any sense of like maybe more twelve personnel? Foster Moreau played well while Darren Waller was out. Maybe he could actually have a weekly role going forward as they try to mix and match and like keep this offense band-aided together. That would be awesome. Yeah. I'm not expecting it, but I would love to see Waller and Moreau together. That'd be great because Moreau like profiled basically as George Kittle coming out of college. Uh, he scored touchdowns and he was a super athletic player. Of course, got thrown behind Darren Waller, but man, I would love to see both of them on the field together. Uh, I can't expect that, especially because since training camp, Vic Tafour has actually been all over Zay Jones. That's like his favorite player. He says uh, he just like pops in every single practice. And so I actually do think Zay Jones will step in to three wide sets. I'm not expecting much to happen, but uh, he'll be out there. Are we not though? Are we not? (laughs) 19.2 yards per reception, caught the game winner in week one against Baltimore. It's all happening. Zay Jones week. Dagle, of course, Victor Four is a very tenured Raiders beat writer, so definitely someone to listen to. Jonathan, I heard you like opining about how great it would be for both tight ends to be out there. I just realized it's going to be like a lot of like Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake out there at the same time instead. Most likely. Josh Jacobs, of course, who is back healthy after the bye. How great would it be just to get the Darren Waller that we thought we were drafting? He, you know, he had the ankle injury, then the bye. Week one was awesome, but it's been, you know, you look at his game log since then, it's just been so just kind of like middle of the road. Are we going to see Waller pick it up down the stretch, Danny? You know, his his uh, yards per target and air yards per target are down from last year uh, in a way that is a, is a little concerning as far as ceiling goes. You know, um, he's still, and you know, the loss of rugs, I think w- will filter in more opportunity for him going forward. I wouldn't worry too much, but they are using him differently than they were last year. Maybe it's the ankle, you know, uh, that, that could be it. And hopefully he's, he's over that. Um, but I think that there is some reason to believe that we're not going to quite see that the Darren Waller explosion that we did at the end of last year. And no rugs. I mean, that might create free up some opportunity, but it also like, it brings the lid down True. more in the Raiders offense and it gets more narrow and the targets are of lower value that kind of thing. He hasn't had 10 targets since week one when he had 16 and everyone's like, wow, this is going to be a real problem <laughs> for fantasy. He hasn't, but he's also, 
he only dipped below seven in that last game where we called him a buy low player and then of course got injured and we forgot about that. So I think it is a, a bounce back spot for him. Also remember he's a very streaky player. Uh, whenever he emerged with the Raiders, he fell apart like over the last month, month and a half of the season last year, he was basically just a, a like top five guy, not close to Travis Kelsey until his last month of the season where he just tore it up and drew closer to Kelsey. So he's just always been a very streaky player and just seems to be going through one of those lower streaks right now. The Saquon Barkley situation is confusing in terms of his potential availability. Does he have COVID? Does anyone even know? I mean, like what's going on? <laughs> no. They they have run multiple tests since apparently like there were some false tests that came back and they double checked. I believe he still tested positive whenever they double checked. And so he's missed Wednesday and Thursday practice. It sounds like they wanted him to come back on Sunday, but now it's very unlikely since they can't get him on the practice field. Matt, no idea why I interrupted you, by the way. I was just like, my brain was just me like, can someone tell me what is going on? No, that was more Barkley? or less my setup was the Saquon Barkley situation is confusing. I didn't have a lot more than that. I mean, how? <laughs> I guess we're just waiting and seeing really, right? I mean, there's nothing else to do as of Thursday afternoon. I'm fairly sure it's going to be Devontae Booker. Also, the Giants on bye next week. So they're injured players. I'm not expecting to play. Sterling Shepard. Uh, Kenny Galladay surprisingly returned on Thursday. There also are two and six. Um, their fault, not the headset's fault, yeah. after they kicked the field goal from the five-yard line. But overall, yeah, so I, I would expect to see Devontae Booker. And we saw against the Chiefs in a close game, surprisingly, in Arrowhead throughout. Elijah Penny only got one touch behind Devontae Booker. So we'll continue starting him as a touch base like friend Darby won in this game. Booker has, uh, over his three starts, has played 82% of the Giants' offensive snaps, and he's led the team with a 30% opportunity share, which is uh, targets plus carries. Uh, basically, Booker has the same opportunity share as Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon, just for some some context. So we love to see that, is what I'm, is a, what I would say. And just to put a bow on like Saquon's availability, do we even know was he even ready with his ankle? Like even if he didn't have the COVID scare, we don't even know if he's ready with his ankle. That's been my question. Is it? You know, I mean, I don't. I was going to say, who cares about the COVID? I hope he's fine. Denny, come on! There's a pandemic, Denny. I don't know. Is there? Uh, it, and uh, I don't know if he if he would play if he's if he clears the protocol, the COVID protocol, and everything. I still don't think he's playing because the ankle. Yeah, he was on the sideline this week to start. It seemed like they at least wanted to get him on the field and try his ankle out. And so I would assume he's actually back after the bye. Uh, it doesn't make sense to play him anyways, even though they do need a win. And for the receivers, as they continue to sort themselves out, with Dante Pettis also injured too, we have seen two games now this year where Kadarius Tony did not overlap with Sterling Shepard, and Tony had a 28% target share with 11 targets per game. So if Tony, who is limited both both days, Wednesday and Thursday, that's a good sign, plays without Shepard this week, like I think he's a fringe wide receiver one, wide oh, receiver yeah. two. Like, he's an awesome play Let's in this go, game. Yeah. Look at Denny's eyes lighting up. Den no one is more excited about <laughs> Kadarius Tony. Everyone here is excited about Kadarius Tony. No one, no one more so than Denny, I think. <laughs> we get Tony Waller stacks in DFS. Oh man, one. let's go. Let's go. I mean, Diego, does Galladay change that at all if he plays? I mean, he hadn't practiced since week five until Thursday. Like, even if Galladay is somehow out there, is that really – it could be a Barkley situation where they're trying to get his feet wet ahead of the bye, I feel like. 
they just run like completely different routes. I, I genuinely don't think it's going to matter. Uh, also, we saw like Greg Rosenthal calls them the fighting Basachias <laughs> because like in their two games under Rich Basaccia, the Raiders have led the league in pressure rate because like they're just a much more heavier attacking defensive scheme now. And so that would actually lend itself well for Tony, who can get balls dumped off to him. Tony completed that pass for 19 yards. He like kind of checked down. They they said on the Manning Brothers broadcast that he can throw a football 70 yards. One of these weeks, he is going to chuck a bomb in a game, and it's going to be awesome. Dude, this guy's a freak, man. Denny and I, I I'm assuming Dag on this too. We love Kadarius Tony, folks. I don't rule me out of this. Don't rule me <laughs> out. I'm fascinated by Kadarius Tony as well. It is shocking. Like I got my evaluation on him wrong because he is super explosive. I just figured they would never figure out a way to use him. But it turns out like the way to use him is just by letting him do everything and figure it out. He's like raw Odell Beckham almost. He's just like, has no idea how to play football. But if you just get him the football, he'll figure it out on the field. Yeah, Daniel, we kind of talked about this in the pod earlier this week, Denny and I. The, the red flags on him are who he was drafted by, which, you know, it's kind of bad process. Like if he's a good player, it doesn't really matter. And the fact that he only played 18 games as a wide receiver, official wide receiver at Florida. But like, like everyone, we, we're all lolling at Gettleman making the pick. They're like, this guy barely even played receiver. Instead of probably just focusing on, oh, you know, wow, on film, this guy looks like he can't be stopped. Like he cuts like no one else in college football. It was also because he was obsessed with his rap career coming out of college. Like GMs and coaches generally didn't know if he wanted to play football. That's why he slipped as well. Like if you listen to the Michael Lombardi podcast, like he was convinced Tony wasn't going to play a single down because he was so obsessed with his music career. Um, Also, like the only GMs who talked about him in the draft process were Gettleman and Urban Meyer. So that's why I was down on him as well. We see why why Urban was down bad after he didn't get Kadarius Tony, by the way. Like he was openly moping about that. Travis Etienne like sitting next to him on the on the podium is like, man, we just really want a Kadarius. <laughs> yeah. So he's a musician. He can throw a football the entire length of the field. He he's got like video game moves. It looks like someone's just pressing the juke button over and over and over again with Kadarius Tony. He can do it like five times in a row. What can this guy not do? It's incredible. I hear Renaissance man when you say that. He's a young Joker. Look up the albums. All right. The Cardinals are at the Niners, Arizona, a one-point favorite, total of 46. Kyler Murray was sidelined again on Thursday with his ankle injury, as was DeAndre Hopkins. Pat, how uh, how worried are we here, and what does it mean if one or both guys don't play? I mean, Colt McCoy? What, 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 what are we going to see on Sunday? We're a little worried, but we've already seen DeAndre Hopkins play without practicing this year. They've come out and said Kyler Murray can play without practicing. I do think that Kyler is going to play. Uh, I no idea if he's going to be effective. The 49ers give up the third most uh, fantasy quarterback points. They give up the third most quarterback rushing yards. So it's not an ideal week for Kyler to have a bum foot. Like we could have really seen, I feel like his running game finally unlock again this week if he hadn't been injured. But yeah, there's just a lot of variables for this offense. Right? Actually, AJ Green's on the COVID-19 list. He was vaccinated. Apparently the entire Cardinals team is vaccinated. There's just so many moving parts right now that it's kind of hard to uh, project what this Cardinals offense might look like in 72 hours. I do wonder, since it's all happening at once with, like you said, A.J. Green, Hopkins, Murley, I just wonder if they sit everyone. I wonder if they're doing a gamemanship, trying to get an edge and play it down to the wire, but actually they already convinced they're just going to sit everyone in this game. That doesn't strike me as Cliff Kingsbury's style. He seems more like we're going to play everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. I I am genuinely concerned, though. 
And because I would play Rondell Moore, if that's the case, because whether they want to pigeonhole him the slot or not, they don't have anywhere else to go. The issue is if Kyler Murray's out, that leaves Colt McCoy. And we saw Colt McCoy with the Giants last year. It did not go well. It's got to be better than Chris Strievler, though, right? I mean, Chris, Chris Strievler is at least fun. Uh, the long bearded lumberjack who runs <laughs> like 15 times a game. He's a fun quarterback. Not good. He was fun. You could see him in real time last year cost the Cardinals a playoff true. spot yeah. in that game in that game against the Rams. Like you saw it happening. DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, my favorite week eight fact is that DeAndre Hopkins played unauthorized snaps wow. last week after he injured his hamstring. He put himself back in the Man. game several times without the coaching staff's approval. That's an alpha move. It is. It's an alpha move. So it's literally just going to come down to Friday injury reports. We're recording this on Thursday, unfortunately. Uh, Rondo Moore would be the pivot. Otherwise, I don't trust anyone else with Colt McCoy. It's pretty much that simple. I will say, at least with AJ Green, I don't think AJ Green can be activated Sunday, correct? I think if you're on the COVID-19 list, they have to make the move by Saturday afternoon. I hope I'm not incorrect about that. But I think he has to. I think we'll maybe know with AJ Green by Saturday afternoon. I think Kyler Murray, unfortunately, couldn't have a game time decision. I think they're serious about him maybe playing without practicing. Kingsbury said he do, he doesn't have to practice. Also, I, I think if if well, either way, I mean, Chase, you're starting Chase Edmonds, but I, I think the Colt McCoy starting and and if they're without all these guys, I think Chase Edmonds could soak up you know more targets, more opportunity than we've seen. The good news with DeAndre Hopkins is it sounds like even if he's ruled out, he's going to play. So that's. Yes, <laughs> a really good point. <laughs> Have we talked about Christian Kirk yet? Let, let's say Kyler Murray is playing. Uh, we know Hopkins is quite limited. AJ Green's out. Like it's always kind of a should I or shouldn't I with Christian Kirk. This feels like a good week to do it if Kyler's playing, right? If Kyler's playing, yes, I would imagine he's then less mobile and thus looking to at least pass quite a bit. We've also seen these games. Uh, the past three times they've played Garoppolo and the 49ers versus Kingsbury and Murray that uh, they have averaged a combined 53 points and Garoppolo's averaged 38 pass attempts in those contests as both teams have each other's numbers for shootouts. And so if Murray's available, I would trust Kirk significantly more. Uh, with McCoy again, though, I would actually go to more instead. Niners side of things, Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell have both been on the injury report this week. Denny, are we taking a risk by assuming that both of these guys are safe starts if they're active? I mean, are you worried about, you know, a situation where, you know, I don't know, a decoy situation or anything like that? Or are you firing them both up and not overthinking it if they're playing? I mean, obviously, we're, we're going to have to watch the Friday practice report very carefully uh, with the Niners. Uh, real quick on Elijah Mitchell, in four full games with the Niners this year, he's seen 81% of the running back carries in the San Francisco offense. So like a legit true workhorse role. And again, last week, you know, against the bears, uh, you know, a great, great game. As long as they can maintain some neutral game script, which they, sh they should be able to against a banged up Arizona team or lots of positive script. If Kyler Murray is out, um, I think that if he's playing, you start him. Like I don't don't get cute. And as far as I can tell, with Debo Samuel, he played through this issue last week. I don't think he suffered like an official setback or anything like that. Kyle Shanahan, as he's known to do, like made things like a little confusing earlier in the week with comments on Debo Samuel's calf. Where I feel like it's kind of hard to parse out if, like this is a new thing or if he avoided setbacks. But he did have one of his quietest games of the season against the Cardinals a month ago. But that was one JJ Watt ago. I mean, his he's number two in receiving yards in the NFL. He's had 350-yard games. That is like demonstrated like stratospheric upside. 
So if, if he's out there at all, Debo Samuel, I mean, you rank him in the top five. It is becoming positive news for the 49ers too, because they seem to be getting healthier and clicking now um, with a fairly easy schedule the rest of the way. Not only do we see Brandon Ayuk this past week play a season high, 88% of snaps, actually ran more routes than Debo for the first time all year, got a 25% target share, but also Debo, of course, just lighting the world on fire right now with a 32.5% target share. And then like Jenny said, in two games since the 49ers returned from their bye, role changes. Elijah Mitchell, the workhorse, can't catch a pass, but he's the workhorse with 36 touches. And then Michael Hasty after him with six touches in those two games. Trey Sermon, zero offensive snaps, 22 special team snaps. That's just how it works out. So it is actually concerted target tree so far. And now we're getting George Kittle back this week, most likely, as well. Baby steps with Brandon Ayuk. It sounds like maybe we're cautiously optimistic that he could be playable at some point in the near future? I think it's this week, honestly, given that I did not put him on the drop list with Allen Robinson two weeks ago. And I explained just because the usage like still there for IU, like something's odds happening. Maybe he's not earning targets. I don't know. But like I just mentioned, just to have season high seven targets this past week and also see that match up with running a route on 97% of Garoppolo's dropbacks. Like this is everything we were promised with IU from the beginning. So I am much more confident in his usage this week as a wide receiver three, let's say, until we're more confident than that uh, moving forward. Season high in uh, uh, route percentage, route rate last week. Like If you p- stayed patient, I think it, this is the week it could pay off. You know, not, maybe not with it, like an explosive week, but uh, a usable fantasy week, which you know six weeks ago didn't seem possible for Brandon Ayuk. It is weird, the huge variable of George Kittle returning, but... The usage had been kind of like slowly trending in the right direction. I mean, it may, it may, never made any sense. He's extremely good. He's demonstrated at the NFL level. He's a very good receiver. So it never made any sense to begin with. And I, I agree with the overall sunny outlook for Brandon Ayuk in the second half of the season. Sunday night football Titans at the Rams. Rams are favored by seven and a half. A total of 53 and a half. Derrick Henry is gone for now, but not forgotten. With Adrian Peterson, though, still getting up to speed and in a matchup where Jeremy Nichols could, in theory, maybe you could imagine him getting a bunch of dump off passes. Pat, is this possibly the best week to use Jeremy Nichols? I feel like I'm going to defer the, the expert. I feel like Daigle has to be the expert on uh, Adrian Peterson, Jeremy McNichols. But I, my take all week on Jeremy McNichols, he's been like three to four weekly targets. It'd be kind of insane if that didn't increase to at least five to six. And if you're running back getting five to six weekly targets, that does put you in the PPR flex mix. They're road underdogs in a game with a massive total. This could be, yeah, like the week, the most valuable Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols. I can't say his name. He's going to be for the entire second half of the season. As I wrote in the waiver column, uh, Jeremy Nichols is, in my opinion, the better play this week because the Rams will likely force the Titans' hands to pass the ball. Having said that, if you look at their schedule beyond this week, that's why I have Adrian Peterson ranked over McNichols in the waiver wire column for the rest of the season because there's really no other offense that can force the Titans to have to pass the ball significantly. They actually have the second easiest schedule the rest of the way from week 10 on. Also, just to to still, we know they averaged uh, 28 running back carries per game 
because of Derrick Henry. But Todd Downing coming out saying he didn't want to change their identity. I imagine they'll start by running the ball against the Rams. They won't be able to. The rest of the way, though, I think they will. So, yeah, I am completely trusting Adrian Peterson as the better pickup beyond this week. But Van Nichols, a fine start for flex RB3 PPR this week. Dago, we're gonna. We're, I'm sorry, Dan. We're gonna clip Dago saying that you think Adrian Peterson is a better pickup for every year between now and 2045, because right. <laughs> this is going to keep happening every single season. I just want to take a moment and say I, I wrote extensively about McNichols' matchup against the Rams in that likely pass catching role in today's Target Dakota column on the site. It's funny we did spend most of the offseason kind of joking about whose like value Adrian Peterson was going to crush when a team signed him, and it turned out that he actually entered a situation where he was just going to have some standalone value. Just a deep thought I'm having right now. Uh, as for the Titans receivers, I mean, is there anything really to say about what this means for AJ Brown, who is already starting to take off Denny and I guess an if healthy Julio Jones, like, is there really, is there a big fallout for you or do you think they're just going to give the majority of those carries to AP? When the Titans are forced out of their preferred run heavy game plan, which I think will happen you know, early uh, in this game against the Rams, the Rams being considerable favorites here. Uh, I think that AJ Brown sees a lot of, a lot of opportunity. It's a tough matchup because receivers, uh, you know, we don't know if Jalen Ramsey is going to shadow uh, AJ Brown or not. And we no point in really guessing at this point, but uh, the, you know, targets tend to funnel down to running backs and tight ends against the Rams. So that could be a little bit of an issue. But you know the 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 shift for the, from the Derrick Henry list for the Derrick Henry list Tennessee offense should be and by all accounts will be to a an AJ Brown centered uh, offense. So I, I I think not in every game, but in this one for sure. If Ryan Tannehill allows it, I'll say like we're gonna see. This is like trial by fire for Ryan Tannehill, who's been protected by so many different things since he arrived in Tennessee, like by clever coaching, and then most of all by Derrick Henry just being the rare running back to actually scare like the wits out of opposing defenses. And this is a Rams defense that even before they got Von Miller, who hasn't been playing like a superstar by any stretch this year, they're allowing the fifth lowest passer rating against. They have more interceptions than touchdowns allowed. I keep, I just feel like every week I see one or two blindside sacks on Ryan Tannehill, just who will go like he'll finish his career having never once felt pressure um, from his blind side. And just with no Derrick Henry, I'd say there's like a non zero percent chance that Ryan Tannehill just like completely falls apart. And maybe they, they, they just have to stick with this running huge running approach, even if it doesn't really work. I, I just, Ryan Tannehill, whenever he's been, there's a reason the Titans do everything humanly possible to keep Ryan Tannehill below 30 attempts. Like the more he has to drop back and pass just throughout his entire decade career, the more he has gotten exposed. So it, it is going to be a very, very interesting dynamic in the Titans offense. Either way, I do agree with Denny that A.J. Brown's floor is fairly safe. We've seen a 22% target share at least in every game for A.J. Brown he's played this year, full. And the past three in particular, uh, at least a 31% target share. So seems to be at least a safe floor. And then if the Titans have to or choose to increase their second highest run play rate from neutral game script from this year, then you know the ceiling, that's when it comes off for Brown. What I gathered from you a second ago, Pat, is great, great, great news for Tannehill overall that Derrick Henry is out. <laughs> really, really excellent stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get a real testing of the RBs don't matter theory here because uh, just beyond if he can be – there's no one-for-one -one replacement for Derrick Henry, just like the effect on the overall offense. 
I think this is going to be the exception to what is a very real, very real rule that running backs in general do not matter. When I look at this from the Rams side of things, I mean, you know, we know where we stand with Darrell Henderson and Cooper Cup. What about Van Jefferson, Daigle? Three for 88 on six targets last week. Is there anything cooking here? Like, is this, is this turning into a legitimate thing for you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've now seen that in the last two weeks since Deshaun Jackson was healthy scratch and then released altogether, he has played 89% of the snaps. Um, this past week, he actually ran as many routes as Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. And with Tutu Atwill also ruled out for the rest of the season, there's really no one to compete with Van Jefferson now as an every down player for a team that runs 11 personnel at a top five rate. So I think he is glued to the field, honestly, as a strong wide receiver three for the rest of the season. Okay, we go now to the last game of our eight. It's the Monday night game. The Bears at the Steelers. Pittsburgh favored by six and a half. A total of 40, the lowest of the week. If you're just listening, Pat was shaking his head. He looks just visibly disappointed. Some of the worst moments of my life have been Chicago Bears Monday night football Pat. games. Not, not because I had anything invested in them or anything at stake. It's just watching it. It's like it's just one of those things that you endure more than you enjoy. We're going your direction because we have a huge DeMont Nation update as of Thursday. Reportedly returned to practice on Thursday with a chance to play Monday night. Chicago Tribune's Dan Weederer reports the hope is he can get at least some work on Monday night. So that sounds fun for this backfield. If he is active, like, can we still roll with Khalil Herbert? Do, they, do both these guys potentially become stay away in kind of a, a value-killing situation? We have another week of Herbert. What's going on, Pat? I mean, Deglin and Denny, would you agree that if DeMont comes back, it's probably going to be like a limited capacity just to try to get his legs back underneath him ahead of what I believe is the Bears' bye, yeah. and that will probably rank Khalil Herbert higher? I mean, just – gobbling up extraordinary workloads the past, i think he's out touched damian uh, williams 47 to 6 over the past two weeks and we know they're gonna have to remain committed to their run game the steelers are just everything about them screams bad matchup even though for justin fields even though this is not like quite the imposing steelers defense of some years i feel like they're gonna have to remain focused in the ring and i just don't think there's any way david montgomery's gonna be ready to just reassume I mean, it's literally his first practice, what, in the past 24 hours. I just don't think any way his conditioning will be ready. And it'll be a big hit for Khalil Herbert's ranking. Like, he'll go from, like, top 18 to more like top 30. But I, I think I'll keep Khalil Herbert ranked ahead of David Montgomery. If Montgomery plays. Sorry, Daigle. I just want to say Joe Brady cannot imagine David Montgomery being limited in his return. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Daigle. <laughs> if Montgomery plays, like you said, before the bye, I actually I wouldn't think he caps six touches. Uh, we've now seen Herbert as well handle 21 touches in three consecutive games, at least 70 yards rushing in his last four. And so I imagine they would just continue riding that horse. It sucks because even as I was watching Justin Fields explode for a season high, 25 fantasy points, finishes the overall QB4 on the week, I couldn't even be happy for him knowing Matt Nagy oh. was going to come back and ruin everything. And so uh, we saw Matt Nagy in the press conference and the facilities today. That means he's off the COVID list. That means Justin Fields goes back to being a QB3. Yeah. Wow. Oh, no. Is it? Is it really? Oh, man, is it really that? Do we? Do we really have to believe that? Like, isn't Bill Lazor's been calling the plays, right? Yeah. I mean, in theory, no one actually knows. He's very sensitive about that, Matt Nagy, and we seem to be. I'm using the word real the phrase real time again. We seem to be seeing a power struggle in real time between Bill Lazor and Matt Nagy. We're like every Bears play call last week felt like a subtweet 
of Matt Nagy. And I think I've already made this joke to Denny, but now we're going to see Matt Nagy quote tweeting Bill Lazor. He's going to be very heavy handed about, no, this is uh, how we do Chicago Bears offense, Bill. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. You seemed to forgot it last week when I was at home convalescing with the novel coronavirus. You could have been thinking of me instead of trying to make me look like an idiot. But this is how we play Chicago Bears football, Bill. That sounds right. So 10 carries, 103 yards, and a touchdown for Fields last week. It sounds like we're more scared of the Nagy than we are the Steelers when it comes to this matchup, Denny. The Steelers aren't a great matchup either, though. Not a good matchup. If I could go back to the backfield for one second. First of all, it's very weird that Montgomery would play, right? Just just don't. Just don't do that. Um, Khalil Herbert uh, has a 40% opportunity share over the past three weeks in the Chicago offense. That's higher than everyone except for Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, and Najee Harris. So true workhorse stuff, which I which I have enjoyed. He's also uh, Herbert has run a route on sixty six percent of the Bears' dropbacks over that over that stretch. So he's just completely like like Pat said, taken that that role, that pass catching role away from Damian Williams. If if Montgomery is declared out, you know this weekend or on, on Friday even, then. Um, some some people would group Friday in the weekend, so I I, I want to just rephrase that. But uh, then then I think Herbert's a, a really really good start. Um, I, I guess unless game script kind of goes sideways for the Bears, which it could. So when it comes to the Steelers, not named Najee Harris or Deontay Johnson, Daigle, can you muster any excitement this week for Chase Claypool or Pat Fryermuth? No. I'll take Claypool because I'm sure Denny wants to talk about Fryermuth. Seems right up his alley. No. Uh, Claypool, 97% of snaps this past week, inserted touches as well. So we know Ben Rossberger poor throwing 20 plus yards downfield. But overall, like I think there is some potential here for at least like a wide receiver two outing, as long as he still continues getting carries, uh dumped off underneath, things of that nature. For Fryermuth, we are watching to see Eric Ebron's status since that's what really elevated. He was DNP again on Thursday, Daigle. Okay, good. Because that's what really elevated Fryer move to a career highs, season highs, and target share 20%, and routes run on 70% of Ben Roethlisberger's dropbacks. And thus, if Ebron's out, I would actually still rank them, uh, in my opinion, Dan Arnold and then Fryer move. And then we will have to wait and see on Albert O. But if Fanton's out, I would move Albert O ahead of both of them. Can I just say how much I enjoyed the Dan Arnold Fryermuth wars uh, with, uh, with it, between our friends that established the run last week. That was that was fantastic stuff, right up my alley. I I I, I ate it up. Uh, got exposure to both guys, and it, it worked out. You know, Fryermuth caught that touchdown against Cleveland. We have our own war going on, Denny, between Taysom Hill or between Jameis Winston and uh, Andy Dalton. It's going really well right now. Oh, oh man! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't mean to bring yeah. that up. Uh, we let's see what what game we were talking yeah. about the Steelers game. Uh, <laughs> here's where I am on Chase Claypool. I might start Carlos Hyde over him. That's where I am. Wow. It's not that controversial, actually. Is it not? No, RB two touches. RB two touches. Dog. That's pretty devastating. I, you know, I was very excited about j- drafting Chase Claypool in the yeah. fourth fifth round. But you you wouldn't be that surprised about playing an RB two over Chase Claypool, even in the the best of times in the Steelers offense. In the best of times? Well, in the best of times, you would. <laughs> but the best of times don't exist anymore. <laughs> I, I, I thought this was a devastating. I thought I was going to be fired immediately. I would start um, yeah. hmm, Kadarius Tony over Claypool. Uh, what about Ayuk, who, we, who you spoke glowingly of, relatively glowingly of a minute ago? God, I think that's the range. 
No, because Ayuk right now, like his ceiling has been like his ceiling game last week is basically still Claypool's floor. I think it was a season high forty five receiving yards, wasn't it, for Ayuk last week? Yeah, I think you still easily start Claypool over Ayuk. All right. Right? It's tough. It's a, it's a dark period in my life. I have a friend <laughs> who drafted both of them in one of his favorite leagues. He's just languishing. A guy a guy I know oh. very well. In my uh in the Vegas main event high stakes league, uh, I have Claypool and Chenault, and it's going as well as you would expect. <laughs> Oh, boy. Started great. We're, we're ending on a pretty down note here, guys. We started on kind of a down note. We're ending on a down note, so I think this is about right. Uh, what do we want to uh, promote as we get out of here and look ahead to the weekend? Updated rankings all weekend. Lots of crazy stuff. CD Lamb, by the way, didn't practice Thursday. He's downgraded DMP. Mm. Hopefully it's this rep management, but that's the kind of thing we'll be monitoring over in the rankings article. Friday building blocks, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we will start it off because it's a fun slate that you can pretty much do whatever you want, in particular on DraftKings, making it like FanDuel. Thus, I expect to, exposure to be spread out. So we'll talk about all that. Also, a little bit of an announcement to start the show. So tune in. Nice. Oh, big stuff. I have my Target Decoder column on the site right now. I also have my kicker piece, guys. It's Mike Badgley Sisson tonight. It's it's an island game kicker situation I'll never feel more alive than this. <laughs> Will you guys play Michael Carter over Joe Mixon, by the way? <laughs> Sorry. The, the look on everybody's faces. I know if you're I listening know. to this. I mean, it was, it, it was despondency. Yeah. I would play Michael Carter tonight, Thursday. Oh, man. I got oh, a lot yeah. to think about. Not a lot of time. Three hours to go till kickoff. Uh, if you're listening live, that'll do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. Thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and watching live with us. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks to all of you. Good luck in week nine, everybody. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.